This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell, and together we will be your hosts. The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now, our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally we have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else. And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the uh, web at goodjudgepod.com. Hey, Tane. Yeah. So the other day, I was talking to a young attorney who was a staff attorney for one of the other judges in Augusta. And she said, hey, I've listened to all of your podcasts. Oh, wow. That's really great. And I was like, great. What'd you think? Yeah. You know what she said? No. She said, well, they're not entertaining. (laughs) And I'm sure my face immediately belied the, oh, that hurt. She said, no, no, they're really good. They're just not entertaining. I hope what she meant is that they are not mindless fun that you can just listen to as you are whatever you're doing, cutting the grass, jogging, whatever you're doing. You know, we have tried as hard as we can to make what is essentially continuing education as much fun as we know how to make it. Sometimes we succeed. Sometimes sometimes we we don't succeed. We don't succeed or fail. Folks, we really appreciate all of your input, and we are... We receive topics from you from time to time, some of which are fully thought out, some of which are just one or two words. If you come up with a with a podcast topic that you think that you would like to listen to, something perhaps we can help with, maybe not just substantive law, we'd love to hear it. Please contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com or go to the website goodjudgepod.com. Make sure it's something entertaining, okay? Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And Tane, today you're going to take us on or sort of lead us on a little journey through pro se domestic relations litigation. Yeah, before we get started, I did want to tell you I was really sorry I got in a little bit uh, late today. Um, You know, we record these things in Athens and I was was on my way over here right as we were about to start. And uh, I was on the other side of Broad Street waiting on traffic. And there was a guy standing next to me. He's like a, you know, really big Georgia fan. Obviously, he's got his dog's hat on. He's dressed in all red and black. You know, he's he's clearly here for the game. It's Friday, right before the Missouri game. And uh, so anyway, we're waiting for traffic to change. And we both kind of exchanged go dogs. And then just as the light was about to change, a funeral procession came by. And it was, you know, a really big deal like the you know hearse came by and then they had some people with georgia flags on the cars and all of these things went by and it was a pretty long funeral procession and so you know he looked like a pretty knowledgeable guy and so i leaned over to him he actually took his hat off and put it over his heart as they were going by and so i leaned over to him and i said hey do you know who died and he leans back over to me and he says yeah the fella in the first car up there so anyway, I was a little bit late today, Wayne, and I apologize for that. Um, today we're going to wow. talk. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> the setup for that. It's pretty awesome. Oh, huh? my God. I thought this was going to be something. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, so we're going to talk about a subject today that that is near and dear to everybody's heart. And, and that is um, uh, practical tips for dealing with pro se, self-represented litigants, um, and particularly in the domestic uh, context, particularly we, on divorce-type cases. I don't know about you, but we get a lot of that. And, we do, too. And I, I know that people can get on the internet and they can use this county's web it, forms, because you'll see them in the footers. Right. They'll be from Cherokee County or Douglas County or DeKalb County or, or whatever, and they'll be filed with us, which is fine, assumably, but... Uh, the other thing is th- the management of the cases, right? Because they don't know what needs to happen next. They don't send out certificates of service. They don't give hearing notices. They don't know the unwritten rules. Now there That's are some right. judges that will simply say, "Hey, it's up to you to know the rules. You don't know the rules. I'm going to keep kicking your case out until you follow the rules." That's I- right. I-, I understand that logic. I also know people that say, "Look." These particular people not only have the right, but they also do not have the means to hire an attorney. They're never going to get the means to hire an attorney. They don't qualify for any assistance from an organization such as Legal Aid. So you have a choice. You can sit here and and stare at each other for years and years, or you can move them through the process. You can push or you can pull. That's exactly right. And and I've tried to figure out some processes over the years um, that I think balance both of those considerations, you know, making people do what they can do, um, but then uh, doing the things that I need to do in order to move the case. Um, Because I think a practical reality is if we have two litigants who are in the courtroom and they both tell us that they want to have a divorce, we need to see if there is an ability for us to allow them to get a divorce without getting too involved in their case and or being their lawyers but also um, as you said practically uh, practically realizing that they're never going to be able to hire lawyers to do this for them so so I've come up with a few things and I know you have to wait over the years that um, that I think are helpful in that respect when a new case comes in are you made aware of that or how do you become aware of that or do you even know how you become aware of that what we have done in my jurisdiction and some people have this ability and some don't is we've asked the clerk's office if the case does not have attorneys on either side and it's a domestic case to put it on a specific calendar i do a a, a it's actually a half a day it's a little over half a day really um, as it usually turns out but um a little over a half a day every month specifically um dedicated to pro se uh, domestic cases and do you put legitimations and divorces and modifications and contempts or whatever i do all on the same day i do yeah do you make any determination about whether there are issues relating to children involved um, I don't separate those onto a different day. Um, we we bring them all in on on the same day and call them on the same calendar, and I make those determinations uh, during usually during calendar call. All right, so let's go slow. I'll tell you what we do in Augusta. Yeah. This has been sort of developed over time. Our clerk's office notifies us that there is a new pending domestic relations case and there is no attorney of record. We We put it in the pro se category. We don't have the clerk in our jurisdiction does not set our calendar. Mm-hmm. Our judicial assistant sets our calendar. Mm-hmm. And so the judicial assistant will assign 
that case along with all the other pro se cases to either a morning or afternoon session of pro se day. And I'm using air quotes here, pro se day. The morning session will be the pleadings do not allege there are any children. Mm -hmm. And as we'll talk about today, that's not always true. That's right. The afternoon session will be those cases which have children, whether they be contempt, modifications, divorce, whatever, mm -hmm. one or the other. And so that's that's an initial an initial cutting of the herd. Right. And and it might be not morning and afternoon, but day one and day two. But we try to do them we don't do them every month, but I might end up with thirty on a day because it's been two months. I mean right. you, you just it just depends. Right. But we usually cut them out that way. Sure. So, yeah, and so, so we, we get, so we, we call, get to the day. Yeah, we call that calendar in. Um, it's usually on a Monday afternoon, uh, and people show up. And he, I, I go through a few things with them before I ever call the calendar because these are people there who don't even know what a calendar call is, and you have to recognize that and sort of explain to them what we're going to be doing. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a, this is a non-jury domestic calendar. I'm going to be hearing motions and things, and I actually say. The first thing that I need you to do on this calendar is when I call your case, let me know exactly why it is that you are here, what it is that you want me to, he to hear. And, and the reason that I do that is... Because I got a notice, Judge. Well, well, but many times um, why they think they're there and the reason that I have it written down on the calendar that they are there are two completely different things. They may think they're there for a contempt and we have them there down, down there for a final divorce. And so I ask them to at least try to articulate for me what it is that they think they're there for today. And I ask them, please, once I call your case, tell me how long you think it will take. And also let me know if you want it reported by a court reporter, because if you do want it reported by a court reporter, first of all, um, to have the thing taken down today and have somebody write all the things down that we say, first of all, you'll need to pay a fee for that, which is in our case, $43 per hour, um, which will be prorated. And, uh, if you don't ask for that to be done, if you need a transcript at a later time, you won't be able to get one because there won't be one created and you won't be able to get one for an appeal or any other reason you might want to have it. Now, we require all of our domestic relations matters to be taken down. If someone is indigent, we will do it without cost. But if, if unless they file an affidavit of indigency, we require them to be taken down. I'll tell you the thought process, and I understand that not everybody agrees with this thought process, and it comes from a long place and probably not appropriate for the podcast of where it originally originated, but for right now, understand this. I am willing to be responsible for every word I utter. I am not willing to be responsible for words I don't utter. I agree. And when people tell me that I, uh, I throw out some sort of homophobic slur or a racial slur or a... I was somehow abusive to a party. I am willing to be responsible from a JQC standpoint and any other standpoint, legal standpoint, whatever, for everything I said, because I know myself and I know what I will say and what I will not say. So when somebody accuses me of that, it doesn't seem sufficient that I have someone whose who's specialty sitting in front of me, not doing anything. And all I can respond is, uh-uh, I didn't say that. So we go ahead and get it taken down so that we can 
uh, establish that that record is made. So anyway, carry on. So so you have your calendar call, so, and they let so you know I, why they're there. So I well, I tell them that, and then even before I call the calendar, I tell them a couple other things because the biggest issue with respect to pro se cases is always service. Um, did you get the other party served? And if so, how did you serve them? And so I go ahead and try to is, short is, circuit. I mailed it to them okay? Well, that's that's why that's what I'm getting to. I told them yesterday on the cell phone. I handed it to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I get that a lot. So I say something along the, the following lines. I say, ladies and gentlemen, in order for me to have jurisdiction to hear your case, to be able to make any kind of order that's legally uh, enforceable whatsoever, you have to have first had the lawsuit served on the other side. Legal service is composed of really two things, unless unless you uh, are working under one of the exceptions. First, a sheriff served the lawsuit on them. Or secondly, a private process server who you hired to send out to serve to them has served it on them. And that it's somebody who's approved by the court. Yeah, somebody you paid, but I approved. Exactly. Um, other than that... Unless you've fallen into one of the exceptions and, and are allowed to serve by publication, if all you did was mail it to them or hand it to them or email it to them or text it to them or tell them about it, that is not legal service. And if you can't find them in order to serve them, there are ways under the law to perfect or get legal service, but you have to follow those particular rules. And then I usually tell them about the uh, seminar that we have for people who are self-represented, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes, and we'll talk about that some. But I, I give them that warning, and the reason is I know that then as I call through the calendar, there are going to be four or five cases where I'm going to say, we don't show that there's ever been legal service in this case. Did you ever have the sheriff serve them or, or any of those other ways? And, and um, the reason that I do it is then I don't have to stand there and get the attitude or argument with them about, well, I handed it to him three weeks ago. He knows all about it or she knows all about it or whatever. And she wouldn't come anyway because she's in fill in the blank, Alaska. Right. Um, in our case, we use our staff attorneys not to give legal advice, but to save people the time, effort, and expense of having to pay the, the takedown fee for something that's going to be essentially be a nullity. Mm-hmm. We allow them to go and sort of pre-call the calendar and say, hey, I've looked through your file. There's no service. Now, you can have a hearing if you want to, but let me tell you what's going to happen to that hearing. Nothing. So if you want to, go get service. Feel free to do that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we struggle, Tame, every class of court. We were talking to Alice when she was on the podcast, and, and, and we were talking to Judge Wood, and we're going to be talking to some other judges. We always struggle with that dance between give, giving legal advice and allowing people the opportunity, the constitutionally protected opportunity to represent themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the old saying that the person who represents themselves has a fool for a client but yes. this is America. You can do foolish things if you want to. What right. I can't do is cheat and help you give you advice over the other party or vice versa. That's I can right. tell you the truth, but I can't give one party legal advice. So as we go through, we try to cut it off before they get called. But if they just insist on it, by golly, this is America. You pay your you pay your takedown fee or have your indigent, uh, indigency affidavit or whatever – you absolutely will have a hearing, and we'll talk about that in more detail in your case. Yeah. Now, 
Tane, as we go forward, and I know that you and I each have uh, outlines that we sort of use or notes or whatever that we use to go through the actual case, but after your cases, it, you, it's got service mm-hmm. it, or you've arranged for that or whatever. And they have, do they come back to a second calendar call? What if your case has service? If it has service, no. We we hear it right then and there. I say, okay, tell me how long. Tell me how long you think it'll take to. They have no idea. No, no, and, and and I get that a lot. So here's here's what I will sometimes do. I'll have to admit. I say I've looked over the calendar, and it looks like most of these cases are going to take about ten or fifteen minutes. If your case is going to take longer than that, please be sure and let me know that. Raise your hand. Yeah, or whatever, because then my experience has been. That if the first person announces an hour, everyone announces an hour. If (laughs) If the the first person announces 10 minutes, everyone announces 10 minutes. And the reality of it is it's going to take as long as as it's going to take, but I at least want them to have in their head, oh, no, we're going to be out of here in just a few minutes. (laughs) So I'll say that. We we, we don't usually do a time limit because we've done that sort of pre-clearing. Right. And if it's obviously contested, if an answer is filed and it's obviously contested, Mm -hmm. We will sometimes rip those off of Pro Se Day and reset them to their own slot, sure. their own 15, 30-minute slot. If if we don't know when we created the calendar, then we let it be, and we let it play out however it's going to play out. You well, know, the question that comes to mind, and I know you're working towards it, is how much of the work do you do for sure, the litigant? Sure. Well, uh, one of the things I will say, too, and this is sort of a philosophy of mine, on that day where I'm hearing pro se cases, if I have both people there and both people want to go forward, I want to go forward. Because, A, these are folks who are probably without means anyway. That's why they don't have lawyers there. They've taken a day off from work or from child care or from whatever it is that they're taking a day off from so that they can be there in court. And if I have to reset them to another day, then that's just another day of lost work, lost school, lost whatever for them. So if we have them both there and they both appear to want to go forward and neither one of them saying, Judge, I'm, I want a continuance. I don't have a lawyer. I want to do something, whatever. Um, then I'm going to try to go forward. The second part of that is, um, let's say it's a divorce case or a legitimation case, and they tell me there are children involved, because that's I will ask them that when I'm calling the calendar, are there children involved? And they'll say yes. If they say yes, the first thing I ask is, have you filed a domestic relations financial affidavit and a child support worksheet? Of course not. <laughs> um, sometimes the that's the, a unicorn right there. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the person who has actually filed the petition will go to page fifteen and fill out the information that's there. It's not normally super helpful. We send out a what we call an automatic domestic standing order. As y'all know, we cannot have standing rules unless they are served in every case. So in every single domestic relations case, the court date is put on a thing called an ADSO, Automatic Domestic Standing Order. The Automatic Domestic Standing Order goes through four pages of, if you if this case involves child custody in any manner, you the plaintiff must, the defendant must. I wish I could tell you that is incredibly effective in getting everybody to respond. The one thing it does do, though, it allows me to say, look, I knew you didn't know what you were doing. So I had a uniformed deputy drive to your house and it put in your hand a step-by-step instruction guide 
and you simply didn't read it. Right. And you are holding it in your hand because I see it upside down <laughs> from right here. Right. And they will go, oh, well, golly, uniform 21, 24.2 affidavits. I carry less. If you can give me the data, I can do the worksheet. I, I'm yeah. actually willing. We have, I have some of my colleagues that are not. I'm willing to do the worksheet. We are I'm too. just not willing to to start with, 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 I've got a guess on income. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm of that same philosophy. If I have them there and they haven't done a child support worksheet, I'm going to have to redo it anyway. You know, if they both did child support worksheets, neither one of them is probably going to be based on fact anyhow. So I'm going to have to redo the worksheet. So we will do that. So, but I will ask when we do the, when we do the calendar call, are there children involved and have you done one of those? And they'll say no. And then I say, okay, well, this is something we're going to have to address if we go forward with the hearing today. All right. So let's talk about that. What mm -hmm. do you do when you know they haven't done a 24.2 affidavit? Do you have them? Yes, we do. We you know, have some well, people call those durfas. Yeah, I'm I've not never a, heard I'm not that a big fan. Yeah, not durfa. a fan. Um, we actually have in in the on the fourth floor of our building down a couple of floors. Um, there's a an area down there where they keep all of those forms, and I will sometimes send people down there to fill them out or at least get them and make a stab at filling them out while I'm hearing other cases. So sometimes I will send them down to fill out those forms or at least take a stab at it. Um, other times, I just figure I'm going to ask them about their income, and we'll figure that out as we go along. My staff attorney sits there with a, a little form he fills out about those things as I ask them certain questions. Um, and, and that's the next thing. So they're, let's say they're there for a divorce. Um, legitimation is very similar, but it, let's say they're there for a divorce. Um, the first thing I'll probably ask is, uh, you know, is there um, – is there anything in dispute here? I mean, do we have assets to divide? Uh, there's, there's maybe child support to be determined. Have you all agreed on what, you know, what visitation arrangements and custody you have? Sometimes I'll ask those questions during the ca the uh, calendar call just to get an idea as to whether this is a really contested case. Sometimes the litigants are sitting next to each other, and you get a That's good idea. Common. Yeah, That's pretty common. Yeah, and you get a good idea that ah, this isn't going to really be hotly contested. It's just you know we're going to have to straighten figure some things out. So, um, so I'll take that assessment, and then I'll put the cases in order, and then the next thing that we do is I'll just call the cases, and, and I'll just. This is, this is something that I've figured out over the years, and that is the way to start all these cases is for me to start asking questions before I just turn it over to the litigants and it turns into a Wild West shootout. I will tell you, I have a specific list of questions, and I have an outline, and, and, and we'll have that on the goodjudgepod.com. We'll have that on our website, but at the same time, I I tell them I'm going to ask them questions. That's not a conversation we're going to debate. Yes. I go through jurisdiction, venue. I go through service. I go through irretrievably broken. I go through children, property. I have sort of a six little box checklist. And then I'll say, is there anything else we haven't discussed that you thought we would have discussed? Let me include maiden name up in that other thing. And then I'll say, do you have anything else to discuss? inevitably they are so overwhelmed that they'll go, unless it's just something that is burning a hole in them, they will say, no, <laughs> we're just glad that you quit asking us questions. I um, do. I do essentially the same thing. Yeah. I ask all of those statutorily required questions, all of the questions about jurisdiction, venue. Um, but, but remember one thing about that. And I'd always start with, I always start with service 
and and also always start with the questions about venue. Have you lived in Cobb County for more than six months or prior to the time? Well, let me back up. The person who is the petitioner has to have lived in the state of Georgia for more than six months. The person who is being served or sued has to have lived in the county uh, for more than six months. And so, so Tane, pop quiz. Yes. Remind our friends and listeners, which one of those two between jurisdiction and venue can be waived and which one cannot be waived? Venue can always be waived. Jurisdiction cannot be waived. Jurisdiction is not created by you. It is something that either exists or it does not exist. Venue can be waived. So if I have both part, I had parties in front of me the other day both of whom no longer lived in Cobb County, but we were there in Cobb County for a divorce. I don't know how it got filed in in Cobb County, and whoever the judges are in those other two counties can just thank me for taking care of that case for them. But I said, look, you folks don't live in Cobb County, but if you both want me to hear this divorce today by consent, I can hear it in Cobb County is that what you want me to do? And they both said, yeah, we're here. We've taken a day off from work. We're ready to go. So I heard their case. I granted a divorce. Hopefully it'll never come back to haunt me and we'll be, well, everybody will be happy with that, but yeah, we'll go forward. Uh, and if everybody says they want to go forward, like I said, we're going to try to go forward. I'll also say this, if there hasn't been proper service, but both parties are physically there and want to go forward, they can actually waive the service requirement, but I make them do it in writing. But what they can't waive is a 30-day waiting period. Exactly. Or a 46-day waiting period. Exactly. So we have typically have forms available to acknowledge service, and then we tell them, we'll take the evidence, we'll check the record, make sure there's been no further pleadings filed, and at the end of 46 days, I'll have it kind of calculated out would be the first time that I could sign your action. And without any confetti, horns blowing, ceremonies or preachers, you are going to be divorced. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? In other words, I will say we can get through this service problem and we can have the hearing today, but I need to have it on the record that you know what you're doing, where you are, and that you are waiving any further defect but I can't sign it until the requisite time has passed. Remember, that's not a jurisdiction thing. That's not a venue thing. That's a uniform superior court rule and statutory thing that says you just simply can't grant a divorce. Now, has no application to a legitimation, has no application to a modification or a contempt. It is a, a cooling off period in divorces when the thought process was, Maybe if we make you think about it, maybe y'all can get through this particular fight and you can save your marriage. And I don't know about you, Wade, but I've actually had a few of those. I've where people a, have made up? Yeah, where oh, yeah. they where they dismissed their uh, divorce action after they appeared in front of me. I had somebody approach me at a convenience store where they told me that I was directly responsible for their continued love fest. I mean, she was carrying on about how awesome it was and how great it was and that they were on the brink of a divorce, came to a hearing and listened to what I said, which, as I've previously told you, some lawyers called my spiel, yeah. which was very flattering. <laughs> and anyway, so after that, they said they stayed married. So that has happened. Yeah. So 
So one of the things I'll just tell you then, uh, and, and it, as Wade said, we're not going to go into all of the details about every question that you need to ask, but there are certain subjects that you need to cover in all of these cases. And one of the ones that I think people sometimes forget about is not only to ask them what they own, you know, what property do you have? What cars do you have? What, you know, do you have a, a house? Do you have any of those sorts of things? Don't forget to ask them about debt. Because one of the things they kind of forget about when they're being divorced is that they've accumulated all this joint debt on credit cards and things like that. And you're required under the law to figure out what happens with that and how that goes. Um, Falls under the definition of division of property. Now, I'll tell you, Tane, we've had people tell us they don't have children because the words of some of these petitions are, do you have any children of the marriage? Yes, and legal presumptions be damned, if you ain't the daddy, we don't have any children together. Despite the fact that what they that the female part of that relationship may have had three children since the date of marriage. And as you and I know, there's a legal presumption that says that is a child of the marriage. In mm-hmm. other words, the husband's child. I had one of those the other day, Wade, where... The wife has, has a six-month-old baby and was there to ask for a divorce, but the father's been incarcerated for over two years. So I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, the, or biology, or really any of the ologies, um, but uh, I was pretty sure that wasn't his biological child. Do Now, let me ask you this, because you and I have never discussed this. I've all the stuff we've discussed off, offline. Do you care? Is it, is it your job to clean up the situation that comes out of the Polaroid picture that you take of these people's lives today? Is it your job to clean that up or not? It, it, the greatest answer of all, it depends. <laughs> in, in, that, in that case, it made a difference because not only was she asking for a divorce, she was asking for a divorce based on cruel treatment because of physical and other abuse. And the fact that this wasn't his child needed to be spelled out in the divorce decree to make it clear he had no legal rights to the child. Some of my colleagues say, I'm creating an orphan if anything happens to mom. My response is, well, they don't have a family otherwise. It's not like the guy who did not parent him is going to roll in with if mom gets killed in a car wreck and act as a father. He may want to get a part of the car wreck money. But he's not going to be a father. So I don't see a fundamental difference. But I have colleagues, and I respect it, that they that they have a different opinion, that if they didn't bring it to me, it is not my job to go look. On that issue, since there are lives involved, people involved, children's lives involved, I simply think it's my job to fix it. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think in circumstances, especially like the one I had, we needed an order. There needed to be an order in place that said what's going to happen with this child. Did you make her um, join as a necess- necessary and indispensable party the actual biological father? No, because she did not indicate that she had a clear idea of who that was. So anyway, <laughs> that that happens more often than we all would admit to. Right. I, I do not usually make them join those parties. I usually go ahead and, and put in the order, though, the mom says that the biological father is Mr. X. Mm-hmm. Whether that, that is or true or not, right. that it's of no bearing. It's not a legal document that binds Mr. X. Right. Really just a couple of other 
little things to remind you of or, or tips that I would say, and that is um, if there's real par- real property involved, make sure you make a disposition of that real property. Don't, uh, you know, don't say, well, mom, you know, can have this property that's in his, in father's name uh, or, or. If you yes. think about it, you're going to have somebody's credit forever tied to an ex-spouse or maybe a twice-ago ex-spouse. They still can't get a credit card or a car loan or whatever because she didn't pay for a house that she took. At some point, just call a D-Day to that, that they've either got to refinance it or sell it. Yes. And and just because they came in without lawyers doesn't mean that someone shouldn't think about that. The other issue that I will always remind you about, too, on that is if there are retirement accounts involved and it looks like they're of a type like a 401k that requires a quadro, a qualified uh, domestic relations order, um, don't forget, we need to figure that out. Um, and that doesn't need to be the court. No, so no, whoever's and it responsibility isn't that is needs to be defined in your order, and whatever date as of their evaluating that property needs to be defined in your order. That's right. Anything else, Wade, that you normally do in those cases? Before I did want to mention one other thing that we do in our jurisdiction. You know, the other thing that I think we need to be mindful of as judges is that in the era of e-filing, you hand them the order and say, hey, go file this downstairs. As soon as it's clocked in, you will be divorced. The clerk's office looks at us and goes, please, God, don't do that. Because they're going to stand in our lobby, and somebody's going to have to stop their normal workflow and go put it in the scanner and e-file it and approve it and whatever, all that other stuff that goes that's associated with that. For years and years and years, we would do that. And for years, the clerks, was, were, clerks were happy to do that. It was actually a service. Now they simply can't. So as some of the things you used to do prior to e-filing, you probably can't do anymore. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Well, the last thing I wanted to touch on, Wade, is uh, just something that we do in Cobb County that's a little bit different from other dis- uh, jurisdictions. It's been a help to us, and so I just sort of mentioned it uh, in, in case it's of help to someone else. Um, we started many years ago after – a lot of discussions with the local bar association, um, legal aid, a number of uh, – we tried to bring in as many related parties as we could. They call those stakeholders. Don't yeah, they? stakeholders. That's a good good point. Um, we talked to all those stakeholders, and we determined that it would be helpful to develop a once-a-month seminar for self-represented litigants, mainly focusing on um, domestic-related cases, just – teaching them some of the basics or telling them about some of the basics of litigation and and, and particularly domestic litigation. Um, Things like service and how you have to get service and when you have to get it and who has to get notice of hearings and how you do that. But didn't the bar scream at you that, that you were taking clients or potential clients from them? Well, there was some question about that, but most of them realized that the people that we're talking about who would do these things aren't normally the people who are ultimately going to end up getting lawyers anyway. They're people who just simply either don't have the means or the desire to hire a lawyer to do what they need to do. So what we do is we do this seminar once a month. They go in and discuss all these things. It's a 
PowerPoint type presentation and there are lawyers present and the lawyers actually will talk with the people and they're able to give them some legal advice, uh, either pro bono or a lot of times um, some of the litigants will decide, wow, this is really complicated. I don't think I can do this. Is there some sort of sliding scale that we can uh, you know, do this on? And we and there are lawyers there who show up and are willing to do those things. And they're usually young lawyers who want to de- practice in the domestic relations area. And uh, so either the people will end up getting a lawyer or at least they'll end up getting some legal advice that you and I don't have to give them from the bench at the time when the case has already been called for a hearing. And so one of the things that I'll do if someone shows up at the calendar call and they don't have service yet, and I had a lady the other day who was in tears, literally, that she couldn't go forward with her divorce case because she hadn't perfected service because she doesn't know where her ex or her soon-to-be ex-spouse even is. And I said, ma'am, at this seminar, I can't give you that legal advice, but at this seminar, they will explain to you that there are some ways that you can get service, even if you don't know where he's located. And she sort of calmed down, and we get we have a little brochure, and we handed it to her, and it has the dates in it, and um, she was able to go to the you know the next seminar. It's really interesting you say that. We spent a lot of time, effort, and money. I'm going to tell you five years ago, and I could be wrong, having a video produced. Uh, from lawyers who practice in the domestic relations area that we were going to require people to see. We actually put a little number at the end of it so that if you had to prove, you had to put that number on your form to prove you saw the video. We knew what the number ranges were, et cetera. And so it was, it was really, I mean, that, that cost a lot of money. Um, since then, not only can we not seem to, free the video from the now defunct domestic bar website that has changed names or servers or whatever. The law changed about 16 times, probably before we finished producing the video and child support worksheets changed and, and, and a lot of the concepts changed. So as much as we tried to do something similar and, and make it convenient for parties and litigants and everybody involved, I really think the truth is you're going to have to do it live. Yeah. Well, and just like with podcasts, Wade, the law can often change without warning. So uh, you got to be careful about that. Speaking of podcasts, it is a great joy to bring this to you. We, today's session or today's episode, we really wanted to give you an overview of how you might think about processing pro se divorces. Not all of the substance, not all of the law, but just some of the ideas about how you might go go about processing pro se cases from beginning to end. And located on the website at goodjudgepod.com, there is an outline not only of what we've talked about today, but also a series of questions that you might think about asking in, if not all, then many of the cases that will come in front of you as uh, self-represented litigant cases. So uh, take a look at that as well. Folks, for the Good Judgment Podcast, we want to thank you for being a part of this. This is Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Stay classy, San Diego. Like what you're hearing? Let us know. Your ratings and reviews go a long way for us, and we appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do this. And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point.
Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name. Or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, and thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience, and the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.